homily for the Solemnity of the Epiphany, January 8, 2023, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. Jesus once said, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one really valuable pearl, he sold everything that he had and bought it. With this parable, our Lord challenged his listeners to do a self-inventory. What is my pearl of great price? What do I have that is so costly, so valuable, that I would refuse to give it up? We enter this celebration of Epiphany Sunday, meeting a group of men who find in the infant Jesus a treasure greater than anything they own. These magi from the East are shrouded in mystery. No other verse in any of the Gospels speaks of them except the Gospel we heard today. We use today's first reading from Isaiah, a prophecy that foreign peoples would stream toward Jerusalem to glorify God because of how that prophecy reminds us of the magi. But we look in vain for any additional details. Tradition has given them the names Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar, but let's back up for a moment. We cannot verify from the Bible that there were actually three of them. The reason we use the number three is that they presented three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The translation we use does something very interesting here. It retains the Greek word magi rather than rendering it into English. This is their way of showing us that the Magi are in a class by themselves and not easily defined. Well, then what about the many contexts which use the term three kings to describe them? We can tell how highly regarded they were upon their arrival in Jerusalem. Its inhabitants, after all, trembled at their presence and the reason for their trip, but there is no evidence that they were political leaders of any sort. However, there is one title that I think we should spend some time considering. Wise men. You've heard that old saying, hindsight is twenty-twenty. We can say that the Magi were wise to recognize what very few others did. Namely, that the star which they followed pointed the way to a king. Incidentally, there's a pious legend that what the Magi identified as a star was actually an angel dispatched by God to illuminate Bethlehem as an actual star consistently for many days in a row. What makes this story so intriguing is the number of things the Magi did which seemed foolish instead of wise. For example, I wonder what their families thought about this big plan of theirs. Can't you just hear one of their wives asking, Wait a minute, you want to go where and do what? The Magi likely came from a culture that already practiced a religion. What did anything occurring among the Jews matter to them? So they saw a star rising. Didn't these men see strange phenomena in the sky all the time? But they didn't drop everything to run off and investigate every one of them. What made this one different? Exactly how long would this trip take? Was it really worth leaving all their other work to pile up and wait for them to return? 
And why take the risk of making a trip like this in the first place? What if they were to fall in with robbers along the road, or if one of their camels were to sick, were to get sick or injured? One can easily see how, to some, this journey appeared to be foolish indeed. Despite all of this worldly wisdom standing in their way, the Magi set out for Israel. We can only conclude that it was an interior prompting of the Holy Spirit at work, convincing them that a spiritual experience was in store for them, one that would cause them not to think of the world or their own lives in the same old way. The God of heaven and earth was ushering in a new and glorious age for the benefit of all people, regardless of who they were or where they lived. When they arrived at the stable, the Magi represented us. It's safe to assume a couple of things here. First of all, the wise men did not know Mary and Joseph personally. And secondly, no one in Bethlehem was expecting their visit. But they sought out the child Jesus with the idea that he was not simply destined to occupy a single country's throne. This child would be their king, too, and would have a universal reign. This child, even now, deserved to receive their homage. They surrendered their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh as if to say, These items are trinkets of a world that we must one day leave behind. A life of grace, the consolation of the truth, peace within our souls. Now those are our greatest treasures. So while the images of the wise men astride camels entering the stable and bowing down before the baby in the manger capture our attention, that's really not all that this day is about. This day is about the wisdom that comes from seeking and finding Christ in our lives, no matter how foolish that objective may seem to others. A Christian who lives his or her faith authentically will encounter this tension, and we priests often face it even more acutely. It has been over 30 years now since I first joined the seminary. Everyone knew it was very early in the process, but that step is significant because it makes the seminarian's intentions public. When I was studying to be a priest, there were many relatives who were proud or excited for me. I am still grateful to them for their prayers and support. But I know well that other friends were perplexed and even disappointed. I remember how one family member who was raised Baptist resented that I loved the church enough to want to be a priest and thought that because I would not leave the Catholic faith, I was making a huge mistake. Others thought that I was wasting my potential. One of my classmates essentially told me, look at how high your ACT score was. I had to work like a dog in school, but look at how easily you make good grades when you apply yourself. You have the world by the tail. Think about what you're throwing away. In his eyes, I was foolish and a fanatic. Religious vocations are radical in the eyes of the world and always will be. How many parents of sons discerning the priesthood, or parents of daughters entering a convent as consecrated sisters, are dejected, 
because, doggone it, they want grandchildren. How many young people talk themselves out of the call of Christ because they trust more in the plan with which the world entices them, big money and a house in the suburbs, than in the plan God reveals to them? How many of them see the practice of poverty, chastity, and obedience as deprivations and not causes for joy? The bottom line is this. A good, consistent Catholic life is one that less and less of the world around us considers wise. But if there's anything the wise men teach us, it's that our extravagant and unconventional dedication to the Lord Jesus is the mark of holiness and true wisdom. Amen.